Okay, good work. Good work, everybody. Thank you, Sean. Um, we start absolutely every meeting of position of neutrality with a prayer. Chaplain Lee is in the house. Please stand to your feet all over the room. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again today for just another opportunity to be in your presence. We ask you, Lord, just to have your way in this place. Welcome those that are on their way. Bless those that are here and on their way. We give you the praise in advance for who you are and what you're about to do in this place tonight. As we prepare to dive into the last step, 12, where we put our feet to the ground and get ready to make this thing our lifestyle. We give you the praise. We thank you for what you're about to do. Now we ask you to use your manservant to be able to speak with the clarity so that each and every one here will be able to receive what the Spirit says through him tonight. Move by your spirit. Have your way, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Did everyone. Thank you, chap. Those of you who follow online, I guess maybe we've never explained we open with a prayer, typically with the chaplain, because most of our people are used to having chaplain services available to them. And Chaplain Lee spent 30 years ministering on the inside, uh, all of those years ministering, but the last 20 as a chaplain. So many of you met him on the way. Those of you that are following us online, that's why we do what we do. And I want everyone to understand that Although we're different than other meetings of other fellowships, it's because we intend to be. It's not an accident. Um, what we do here is a little different. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Last week, JJ said, what book you holding about? What are you talking about, Joe? And he told enough people it got to me. So I'm talking about the book Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism, what people in fellowships call the big book. But the title explains to us a lot about why we do what we do. This isn't a bunch of theories. This is a bunch of alcoholics of the hopeless variety who had a radical deliverance from that addictive disorder and they found that the component to staying sane and sober in this world required that they serve one another, that they use their worst experiences to lift up their brothers and sisters. And so we need for people to understand that this manner of living is how you get permanent recovery. And it's the only way you maintain permanent recovery. And for years we've told people all kinds of nonsense that just isn't true because I don't know, because we're people pleasers by nature. So no one's telling you what you have to do. All we're saying is if you want what they had and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps, right? So, so we're going to take a look at step 12 tonight. Step 12, last week we talked about how having a will apart from God was pull pure delusion on my part, Yes. It goes away as I awaken. What is the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken. Right? We forget that. We think we're, it's about something we don't do. No, that's a byproduct of what I do. And what do I do? I serve. Does that make sense? So we are now in chapter 7. It's a little chapter called Working with Others. We Ready? So they got a bunch of promises and conditions throughout this book, and the launching point of this chapter is filled with promises and conditions. Let's see if you can identify some of them. They say practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Did anyone hear a promise? Did you guys miss that one? He always picks out the downer, huh? <laughs> but it's important. Why did I lead with what I led with? 
We'll hear different things about that, but there is one thing that ensures immunity from my addictive disorder, and that is my willingness to pour into you. And not because of an egoic reason, I give him the credit. His power, his love, his way of life. As long as I'm willing to do that, then I am protected from the schemes of the evil one who inhabits my thoughts. Okay, and then it says that it works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion, colon. So I like for people to understand the 12th suggestion follows the colon. It's not the selfish reason why I do it. I've heard people over the years say AA is a selfish program. Any of you ever heard that? Well, that means they didn't read the rest of the book because selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. So what I'm trying to do is put to death the self with the help of this power within me, but I participate by turning my thoughts to others I can help. Does that make sense? So the 12th suggestion isn't the selfish reason that I want to ensure immunity. The selfish reason is self-preservation. The selfless suggestion follows. And it says, carry this message to other alcoholics. What message? Yeah, they didn't say paths either, did they? Our path. First 100 wrote a book about several thousand, yet they speak of one path. You can help when no one else can. Why can I help when no one else can? I have lived experience with this disorder. How many of you guys are programming? Any members here tonight? Good deal. Thanks for coming out. We know you're tired, had a long day. This whole thing was set up on this model, just so you know. Because we know when somebody with lived experience talks to any of you, you listen because they're not talking in theories. And you also know when they're not telling you the truth, don't you? So we'll call your attention. You're going to hear me say a lot of things here tonight. I call your attention to the experience you have, not me, because truth has a feel. Make sense? Okay. So you can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they're very ill. Now they got some more promises for us. Life will take on new meaning. How many of you needed for your life to take on new meaning? Pretty much everybody, right? To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. They're talking about an experience, but they're talking about things I'm going to see. I'm apparently seeing with new eyes. How many of you were mentored by GCHH or New Freedom Project came back here and now are employed here. (laughs) There's no more joy for those of us that were here at the beginning than getting to see this dream fulfilled. Right, Karen? Right, Denise, Matt, Trina? We're getting to see, we're watching people recover. Dean, all you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. We, We knew you when it was hard to do better, but you made the effort to do better. And now you've gone through this, and you've succeeded, and now you're back, and you're serving. And I'm telling you that you do not want to miss it. That's what I'm telling you. Okay. All right. So frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. How many of you just got here? New members just got here? (laughs) Did you think it was weird when everyone started saying, Welcome home! Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. We live for you walking in here in blues and walking out of here full of joy. Live for it. All right. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. Think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? That's always a mixed message, isn't it? How many of you have met drinkers who don't want to recover? How many of you have been drinkers who don't want to recover? How many of you have discovered there's drinkers who don't want to recover in places you didn't think they would be? 
You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You'll be handicapped if you arouse it. So I guess I, I should call out, you know, we've been doing this for a lot of years, trying to help people, and I, I'm sure that we have been thought evangelists or reformers. And what I have learned is as long as my motives are simply to live better and tell you who did it for me, and I'm not trying to reform anybody, I'm just trying to tell you the possibilities when we talk about whether we really want to recover, there's people that'll tell you we don't recover. Heard it for years. But recovery, to say recover here wasn't from a medical condition because addiction was not thought a medical condition then. This is a mining term, not a medical term, to be taken from a scrap heap and raised to a level of life better than the best we own, to find something infinite, infinitely valuable in what we thought waste, that is to be recovered. How many of you found a little value in your past when you started lifting other people up? Then you are recovered. Keep pouring into them. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, so cooperate and never criticize to be helpful is our only aim. When you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find, find out all you can about them. How might I do that? Do you hear Sean? Yep. All of those answers are correct. We often try and talk at people instead of talk to people. And, and that our, if we really want to learn about them, then it's more about listening than talking. Yes? Says um, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. They always tell you the selfish reason and then the unselfish reason. The selfish reason is it's a time waster to try and persuade you because I am not the persuader. Alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, much more persuasive forces than me. You don't think you get on your knees for anybody? Go hit that fucking pipe. Won't be long. Yeah? Apparently I got some kindred spirits here. I didn't mean for that reason, guys. My, my meth addicts always go straight to the gutter. The unselfish reason I don't want to try and be the persuader is you may spoil a later opportunity. How many of you were soured by recovery people because they were always telling you, you, you shouldn't be doing that? My problem isn't a heroin problem. My problem is your attitude about my heroin use. All right, so um, it says we may spoil a later opportunity. This advice is given for his family. Also, they should be patient, realizing they're dealing with a sick person. We can still minister to the family and say, hey, look, I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. Let's get you well, and when you're well, you'll inspire them to get well, right? Because we know something about being sick, and we clean up okay, so we know something about being well, too, yeah? yeah? So if there's any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. So they're starting to tell us the very essence of our meditation that we're going to start asking. Before I go help somebody and impress them with my wit and wisdom, I need to spend a little time knowing who I'm approaching to see where they're coming from so I can approach them in an inoffensive way. That's what prayer and meditation was in the old days. They sat around and prayed and meditated on how to help the one who still suffered. And they did it in their kitchens, and that's why they were called home groups, and that's why they're called home groups to this day. So 
what we're trying to do here is get into a meditative state to see half of these people were atheists or agnostics, the other half were religious people dying in addiction. If I approach you from a biblical standpoint right away and you're an atheist or agnostic, it's going to be a turnoff. If I approach you with a whole different approach to somebody who only understands biblical truth, that's going to be a turnoff. So we attempt here to thread that needle in Christ. And I know people get offended by me saying that, but I'm telling you what I believe. I'm not telling you what you need to believe. Yeah? All right. So, so you need this information to put yourself in his place to show how you would like to, him to approach you if the tables were turned. And I'm going to jump from there because all I wanted you to see is what we're meditating on. I want to go to the next page, 91, middle of the page, most of us are going to meet people in fellowships and things like that. We're not, I mean, some of us are out in the trenches, but most people, when they first get here, they're going to meet them in rooms, yes? So it's middle of that page. It says, see your man alone if possible. How many of you have started trying to help people? Spiritual awakening is all the steps trying to help people. Oh, good, a bunch of you. Have you found it difficult sometimes to see your man or woman alone? Sean always tells you he's kidnapping them. It can seem a little creepy, huh? Do you understand why he's saying that? What usually happens to someone who announces they're new at a fellowship meeting? You get you got a whole bunch of information on what we need to do, don't we? So what they suggest is at first engage in general conversation. What's that look like? Haven't seen you here before. Something, something general, right? No assumption. Okay. Um, after a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. You know why Sean puts him in the car, don't you? Because at some point, he can start witnessing to what he was like, what happened. And they can obviously see what he's like now, right? You'll go around people like JJ and Dean, and you'll go to the clubs, and you'll, Tyler, and you'll probably get invited to come to the meeting before the meeting, and maybe stay for the meeting after the meeting. The old timers told me that the reason they do that is during the meeting, we're going to tell you what we would like you to think we are. Before the meeting and after the meeting, you're going to find out who we really are. Okay, so tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. The entire thing is a fishing expedition. See, because my new calling is to be a fisher of men. And so what I'm trying to do is just get them to develop some curiosity of how a hopeless wretch like me became a servant that they encountered. Yes? So if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll thus get a better idea how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? Some of you guys have been here before. Do you guys hear him? I'm not qualified to speak on how that was accomplished. How many of you know how your sobriety was accomplished. We know who, we don't know how, right? And if I say that too soon for people with the wrong belief systems, it's liable to fall on deaf ears. All right, so if he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. We've got to be careful. We've got to be able to bear witness without being, you know, I mean, sometimes we feel like we've got to slander ourselves in order to, like, level the playing field, but that's not necessary, number one. And has, having been the guy on the other side of that, all I can hear you say when you tell me you were a piece of crap or something like that is, you mean like me? Again, it falls on deaf ears. And let me tell you a little story that I know for a fact as a result of this manner of living. In my worst... And in my best, I'm a child of the living God. Uh, and I, they, know, they know junk here. 
There was just preparation and performance. Preparation is a process, and it can be a bit tedious. All right. <laughs> We're not allowed to talk the way I might want to talk about it. Okay, so if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. You guys got humorous stories? So if it was all not fun, we wouldn't have stayed at it so long, huh? But have you ever been the guy when everyone's cutting up and there ain't nothing funny? So they're asking me to start paying attention to the spirit. Read the room. If he, if he can't talk, he doesn't need to hear a chuckle. But if his mood is light, then we'll, that, we'll take down that mask by comparing war stories for a minute. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, tell him how baffled you were and how you finally learned that you were sick. How did you finally learn that you were sick? Everyone's pondering. And I don't know that we all know right away that we're sick. We still think that we were behaving in a way we wanted to, and now we don't want to behave that way anymore. And we think, we think all kinds of things. A lot of people don't think addictive disorder is an illness. I just want to tell you, as a mental health professional, addictive disorder is an illness. And I'll guarantee you, the person you know doing fine, you put that substance in them, you'll find out that they are not that same. Any of you know that to be true? How many of you wanted to behave differently and could manifest no outward action to do it? What is that but mental illness? But we, 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 we clean up so well, we get here and we hear things like don't pick up no matter what, and we don't realize if I don't get free of me, I am screwed. Because the me that I'm always trying to release with chemicals is always ready to get out. And if I go out through, through synthetic spirits, it's pretty hard to wrangle me back in. So says, show, give them an account of the struggles you made to stop. Do you have the, some struggles identified that you made to stop? Some people don't, but that's why you go through the step process. So you can get, how many of you went to more than one treatment? That sometimes is considered a struggle to stop. How many of you came to fellowships of recovery? That's sometimes considered a struggle to stop. How many of you went to prison? That's the state's struggle to get you to stop. <laughs> so usually we've had a little bit of experience, so we just need a refresher. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. I can't show him in his world. I've got to show him in mine. What is the mental twist that leads to a spree? You're clean. You're sober. You're doing good. Pow! You're off the rails. Any of you? So what's that? Is that you? Yeah, Tyler said he got full of self-confidence. Any of you relate? So we suggest you do this as we've done it on the chapter on alcoholism. So there's a chapter in the book called More About Alcoholism, and they talk about a jaywalker. Any of you ever heard the story of the jaywalker? And they say compare it to your addictive disorder. Isn't it just as crazy to keep going back to the trap house as it is to dive in front of cars? And when you compare it, it really is. They tell you you're like a guy with a headache, pounds his head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. They say, if you draw this to the attention of a drinker, they'll either laugh it off or refuse to talk. What was your response to that? No matter how many people I've taken through and called that to their attention, they did one of those two things. They went, and you could tell it by their energy. They talked to us about Jim, the car guy. Remember the story of Jim, the car guy? He didn't even start drinking until he was in his 30s. He owned a car dealership. And then he lost his dealership through his drinking. And he had to go to work for the dealership he once owned. And they recall that one day on his way to work to this dealership he once owned, he was a little agitated. Any of you ever been a little agitated about the job you had to go to as a result of 
Yeah, he said when he got to work, he had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. <laughs> Any of you ever go to work a little agitated and a job you felt was beneath you and thought you'd just tune up the supervision? <laughs> Guys, we're just trying to get you to relate to a story this man tells. He says that he had these few words with the boss, and then he decided that although he was at the car dealership where people come to buy cars, he was going to go out in the woods looking for people to buy cars. And on his way out to these woods where car buyers who don't come to dealerships hang out, he passed this roadside place, which actually was a bar, but he had eaten there many times since he'd been back on his feet. And after all, he didn't pick up no matter what. So he went into the roadside place, he ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. And then the thought came to him. <laughs> you just had a thought, didn't you? Any of you catch his thought? Hey, a shot of whiskey couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. If I were to shot of whiskey and poured it in the milk. So he tried it and the experiment went so well, he had another. And the story goes on, and another, and then it says another trip to the asylum for Jim. How many of you were doing really good and you just ran by the trap house to show the fellows how good you were doing? I will be an example for my people. So it's not so far-fetched what happened to old Jim, is it? Okay, so... We got enough bait out there. Let's see if we can catch anybody. If he's alcoholic, he'll understand you at once. One of the things I've learned about doing this over many years is understanding is often expressed through relating through laughter or sadness. So if any of you responded with laughter or you had a bit of a sinking in you, congratulations, you just caught alcoholism. And there is a solution. <laughs> All right. So, so it says that he'll understand you at once. He'll match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Guys, when you're 12-stepping, that's what you want to do. I need them to start comparing notes with me based on these experiences. Does it make sense? Then it says if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So we need to... They're very intentional with their words. They, they mean the words they say, and they say the words they mean. When did they talk to us about a real alcoholic? Yeah. About page 21, 22, somewhere in there. You guys ever read that stuff? They talked about the moderate drinker. He has no trouble giving up entirely. He can take it or leave it alone. Then there's a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit bad enough that he may need medical attention, but given sufficient reason, he can stop or moderate. And then they said, what about the real alcoholic? Yeah, I've come to believe I am that guy. Seldom mildly intoxicated, always more or less insanely drunk. A real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Any of you experienced a little personality change when you used? There you go. So that's the real alcoholic, and the way I'd be satisfied is by getting them to bear witness back to me. Talk to me. This is what it, what's up, right? This is what's up with me. Tell me what's up with you, yeah? So show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So what's it look like? How are you going to know that if you haven't done this searching and fearless moral inventory and got armed with the facts about yourself? You're not. It's the Right? That's how you first learn about all the things that have led to your being there in this position, yes? yes? Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Why not? What difference does it make my opinion about your al alcoholic or addicted condition? How many of you were absolutely in the throes of addiction, and it was obvious to everyone, including you, 
and this diagnosis did not impress you. <laughs> so what they talk about in the first step experience is when we became alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to face the proposition that either God is everything or he's nothing. You guys missed that opportunity to yell, power! I'm not an alcoholic in a meaningful way until I come to myself, within myself, and realize that without help, I am nothing. Even with help, I am nothing, but the help is everything. Does it make sense? Okay. So let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he's not too alcoholic. A lot of you are chuckling. We laugh about it because we're not throwing them under the bus. It's just from years of trying to help people through this process and enter this manner of living, one, things we, one thing we all learn and can agree on is no one wants to be told they're not addict enough. The minute I tell you, you ain't bad enough yet, you need to go get busy, do some research. They're, they're hanging on my ankles. Wait, I didn't remember to tell you this story. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We're not throwing them under the bus. I need you to quit expecting me to convince you. Remember Bill's encounter with Ebby? He expected to get a lecture, and he got no lecture. He expected to get a sermon, and he got no sermon. Dude, I'm a peer. I live right where you are. I got no judgment. I'm telling you the power that did this for me will do it for you, or we'd have never met. That's what I'm telling you. So ins insist if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. How many of you know how to do that? How many of you thought you would moderate a little bit? And then thought perhaps you overreacted? And then figured, well, I must have meant to get this messed up. How many of you did it more than once? How many of you were sober before you started and then thought you would just do a little controlled heroin use? Yeah. Slam it like a gentleman, huh? So they're going to talk to me about an obsession. Even when I'm free, this world is just too painful for me in full consciousness. So I find spirits to block my consciousness and my intolerable situation the best I can. And the only solution for a guy like me is a substitute for my inebriation. And abstinence is not that substitution. Abstinence is a byproduct of starting to imbibe on a superior spirit. Spiritual inebriation that comes through prayer and meditation and service. So keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. All of us in this room have met lots of people who did the same things we have done, and they haven't survived it. All of us probably have parents that were afraid we were, they were going to get that call about us. I'm a parent who was absolutely certain I was going to get that call about mine, and eventually I did get it about one of them. So we all know it's real is my point, yes? yes. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But here's your assignment. You may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. See, I can talk to you about the hopelessness of this condition we find ourselves in because I offer you the solution of the spirit within me who sent me to you. And I've got these simple steps that will reveal that power to you through you. And if you'll walk with me through that sometimes painful process, I'll make sure you don't ever do it alone. Yes? Some of you are feeling, who's feeling all that? Yeah, that's, that's the power we call God around here. That's happening in you. Okay, so 
It says, you will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. So what are the traits of an alcoholic? When I put it in my body, I can't control the amount I take. Maybe not every time, but with some reasonable certainty, most of the time. Yes? And some people will say, well, it doesn't happen to me every time. And I say, okay, do you know which time it's going to happen? And they say, no. And then they say, well, then did you ever really have control? Of course not. See, they didn't tell us the, the traits of an alcoholic is I want to control and enjoy my drinking, but I can either control or enjoy. They're mutually exclusive. And when I'm abstinent, because I know that, I'm still drawn to it because I cannot live in this skin suit in full consciousness. I have to be moving in power and purpose, or I've got to go seek a synthetic spirit or some other worldly thing. Yes? Okay. So you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. How many of you had a doctor tell you you're alcoholic? How many of you were impressed with that diagnosis? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Any of you, anyone ever tell you you're exhibiting drug-seeking behavior? Kind of the way they got the system set up, ain't it? If I don't behave in a certain way, you won't give me the good shit. So even though your protege may not entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. How many of you got to that place where you're talking to somebody who obviously knows something about this manner of living? Not to chatter in a room, but somebody actually knows something about it, and you're sitting there going, dude, this dude was certifiable. Did you, would you call that very curious to know how they got well? You know it right then, don't you? You know, whoa. No, this is someone I need to talk to. I said, let him ask you that question if he will. See, we're getting ready to set the hook. Now you know what I was like, what happened. You can see what I'm like now. Here I am with no real expectation, although you still don't believe it. it says, tell them exactly what happened to you. They put that in italics. You know why I need to know what I was like, what happened, what I'm like now? Because exactly what happened to me is that I drank and used drugs every day, no matter what. They could lock me up and chain me down, but the minute they let me go, I did it again. I went to one detox after another detox. If I wasn't in a detox or a jail cell or wherever you go when you won't stop, then I was actively pursuing more and doing more of it every day, no matter what, regardless of what was happening in my health and my life and what it was doing to everyone I cared about. Do you relate to me? Well, one day, pow, that never happened again. I met a man who knew a man, and he told me a story about a life I could live if I'd just take a few simple steps. And I was nearly dead. I was spiritually dead. I was emotionally dead. I was mentally dead. But it hit me as far and deep in me as a, it was a spark as all it was, but it flamed up. And I'm telling you, I have never, ever been the same from that moment. And it wasn't because I lived a deserving life, because I did not. And it wasn't because I was a pure man, because I am not. It was because I had been prepared for this lifestyle before I entered this earth. And the process of preparation is a difficult one. But as long as I serve in the mission for which I was preserved, all these things have been added unto me. That's a fact. And what I'm telling you is the God I serve is not a respecter of position. So if you're in the sound of my voice, it's all here for you too. Okay, so I'm going to jump to, I think I'm going to jump a little bit from here. I'm going to go to page 94. It says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. 
Now, I wouldn't have much credibility doing that if I had not made a self-appraisal, would I? So they've got a suggested way to do that in the book, and there's been many, you know, my, my sense is that there isn't any perfect way to do it, but if you'll take the action and faith to do some of it, we'll help you sort out whatever you come up with, and we'll get you a product you can work with. Fair enough? But until you've done that, you have no credibility telling someone else how they should do that. And they'll know you did it because you'll be armed with the facts about yourself. You'll know that what you were like. I was full of guilt, shame, remorse. I was selfish and I was dishonest. And now I'm a whole lot less so. Still got it, still recognize it because sometimes I fall into slumber. But the reality is this power can use me to lead other people to light. And once I found that out, I found it no longer necessary to block consciousness of my existence because I like my existence. There's people here that know if I see somebody struggling on the side of the street, both Denise and I will stop the car in the middle of the goddamn street and help them get out of the street. It's just the way we are, man. We are, as a class. All right, so outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. Why am I now endeavoring to be helpful to you? The life I live today is entirely because of what I'm willing to do to help you. That's, that's the secret. Still a selfish reason. I had a guy one time say, if I know helping somebody else is going to help me, how does that get rid of self? Again, how is above our pay grade. When you do enough of it, you'll find out that things will flow out of you that were not in you. You'll have wisdom and knowledge of the spirit sitting in front of you that you could not possibly know except that you were in connection with the spirit within you that is within them. And when that starts happening more and more, you will know what we mean about being in conscious contact. And maybe you don't know what that happens, but I know people in this room that take people through their steps, and I know they've had the experience I've had where I felt their pain from their trauma and started tearing up before they had any emotion. So I knew what we were preparing to lead out. We were trying to lead that broken child out of that shell of a man and walk him into his destiny, and he didn't have the capability to feel emotion anymore, so I carried the burden on the Christ in me. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Carrie Ann does. You got her lit up back here. All right. Guys, this is a real manner of living. It's tangible. Look around you. This whole community is built on it. There are no outcasts. There's only people saved for a time such as this. Let's get ready. Okay. So then it says, oh boy. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. I think we've covered that. Make it plain that he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. That's why we invite you to a community. We hope you'll help other people reenter when you escape your own difficulties. We're not asking you to set aside what you need to do. We're just asking you to get well, decompress, realizing you're about to embark on a lifelong ministry of helping people just like you become people more like what you're going to. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own and make it clear that he's not under pressure that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if a man wants to call it off, for he's helped you more than you've helped him. They wrote this book to help reinforce us, right? They didn't write this book so I could impart it to you. They wrote this book so that as I moved into the manner of living, I could find myself at any point. Because I'm not seeking your spiritual awakening, I'm seeking mine. And if you awaken, that's to his credit, not mine. Right? So, so they're telling me, why would I be offended if I went and did what I was supposed to do? I met my obligation, then you do with it what you will. But I at least did what I was called to do, yes? And I'll see if I'm attached to it in any way, 
I'll get annoyed that they want to call it off. How many of you have been working with people and you spent hours sitting with them in this agonizing story? And then they say, dude, I got I to gotta get someone else to sponsor me. Be honest, how does it make you feel? You couldn't have told me that before you wasted my fucking weekend? So what they're trying to tell us is we still have attachments. We still think we're doing it. So my awakening is I am not the savior. I am an instrument. I am a saved instrument of the savior. But I am not he who animates me. Just trying to act it out. All right. So, so then it says maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He'll be more likely, he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. Any of you ever worked with someone who had reasons why they need not? I've been in rooms where they told people you don't need to do this one-on-one -on -one with another. And I always assure them, well, of course you don't need to, unless, of course, you're this guy, and then you're going to die a horrible, lonely death. But by all means, do it your way. Look, this is just testimony. This isn't theology. These guys were hopeless drunks, outcasts of society. And someone approached them and said, if you'll do this, this will happen. And then they wrote it down. I did this, and this is what happened. I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. This is the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. That's it. I got no part in what you do. Do you, boo? He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. How many of you have rebelled at that thought? When we first see it right on the wall, that's the first thing we rebel at, right? I'm willing to write some shit down, maybe, but I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> I had some old timers tell me a long time ago, don't even look at those steps on the wall. You take your steps off the wall, you have what we call an off-the-wall program. The instructions and the expectation are all in, in the pages of this book. So I need to have someone show me how to read it, because no one can read it. You know how complex this is to read? People say, well, of course you can read it. No, you can't. You read it 100 times, you still don't know what it says until someone shows you what it says. And I'll tell you why. It's written in first person and third person. It's written in past tense and present tense. It's very difficult to navigate until someone calls to your attention why I'm in present tense now and I'm in past tense here. Yes? Okay. So do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. They were intentional back then. They differentiated between our fellowship and our program, which is the manner of living described in these pages. If he shows interest in our fellowship, then lend him a copy of your book. If you hang out in this club and you want to keep your seat, you might want to pay attention to this suggestive program. Because if you're anything like me, you will not be able to keep your seat in a fellowship if you aren't in the manner of living. How many of you have learned that but no one told you that? If you think meeting makers make it, and you're a meeting maker that doesn't make it, it's very confusing. All right, so unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. I'm not here to lecture. I'm here to deliver the news, yes? Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. And sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once, and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he's likely to say you rushed him. You'll be most successful with alcoholics when you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Guys, to lay out these tools 
I have to be an implementer. I have to be an expert in the application of these tools. You cannot move into a conscious relationship with your creator without moving into it consciously. There's another book that says we must worship in spirit and in truth. They say we, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were. You cannot do that based on a lie. So if I don't lay out these tools for you in a way that you can dissect with your mind, you can't move in consciously. And it'll only work if you honestly want to and you're willing to make the effort. So why would I cheat you out of that opportunity for something that would work by telling you what you must do? That's, that's intimidation. That's not inspiration. Does it make sense? Okay, so I want to jump from there because I don't want to run out of time before we go through some other things. 96 says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you have worked with people who did not respond at once? How many of you have found them coming back, maybe months, weeks, years later? And although you don't remember the encounter, they do. It's very gratifying to know all those times we were in charge of planting seeds, but we weren't in charge of harvest, that we were at least faithful. Yes? Because we're not supposed to, I mean, we're not supposed to self-gratify here. Okay. So search out another alcoholic and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. You will understand that people will accept with eagerness what you're offering and they'll come for more. And if they don't, they probably aren't ready. That's just discernment, guys. All right. So I'm going to go over to... Page 97 says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure, you're, be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. So they had talked about some other stuff I didn't go into, loaning them money, giving them a place to stay, all those things. But they say, don't do that unless you're sure. Remember they said that we have the absolute certainty that our creator has entered our heart and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous, so I'm going to know that I know that I know if I'm supposed to offer help, aren't I? Okay, so helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Some of you might recognize that from another book. What I do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, I, you do unto me, right? That, that's what we're learning here. Okay, so a kindly act once in a while is, isn't enough. So if, if your entirety of service work is going down to the park to feed the homeless, good. But catching a selfie of that and posting one a couple times a year, probably not going to keep you free. Got no judgment. I'm just, I love that people serve. I love that they, people promote service. But if your serving is such an event that it needs to be on your social media, you're not doing it enough. for your own good. So you have to act a good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she's neglected. <laughs> a drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. I was told those were the 12-step promises. <laughs> How many of you that have been serving in this for a while, all of that has been true? Did you notice how all of that describes what someone did for me that I don't even know their name? Someone went to those jails and asylums for me. Someone took my calls in the middle of the night. Someone counseled my family. So now my obligation, that's my job description. It's now my obligation to continue to pay back that unending debt. Does that make sense? 
So I'm going to go from there to page 98, because last week we probably promised you we were going to talk about growing and understanding and effectiveness, what I grow in understanding of, what I grow in effectiveness at, and I told you we'd tell you next week. Usually I do. I'm, I might be lying to you right now. I don't remember what happened last week. <laughs> but typically, that's what we're trying to, because we don't really know as we're awakening what we're growing in effectiveness at, but they tell us by 12 now that we're awake because we're serving. Does that make sense? So it says it's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. See, I don't know when and how to give because I can be confused by my senses, but that vital sixth sense, that God consciousness, knows when and how. So if I will move in an awakened state, then it really doesn't matter, right? I, I may give you what you ask, or I may give you none of what you ask. I may just talk to you and show you respect. I may tell you where resources are found. And if I can see you're about to get sick like I used to get sick, I may just walk with you and buy, a, buy you a drink because I know you can't buy one on your own. It's illegal to sell it to you. I don't make those judgments on my own. I'm telling you that's what it is to be awakened. Does it make sense? So what I'm trying to grow in effectiveness at is staying awake more of the time. And then it says, that often makes the difference between failure and success. Whose? Yeah, the new man. You guys notice that? You notice there's a new person in you awakening? Somehow wins that tuggle, the tug between how you want to act and how you do act, how you want to talk and how you do talk. Do you know what I'm talking about? So the minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. Oh, yeah, I know. We're really weak on that tonight. When I say God, you say what? <laughs> he clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Is that true? We just want to wait. How many of you got high when you had no money? How many of you got high when you had no job? How many of you got high when you had no home? So none of that creature comfort seems to make any difference, does it? So what the authors say is nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. That was good. Really good. Thanks. So now an instruction. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. And I got to get to what... Sean was talking about, if I can find it, so we can. Okay, so I'm on page 100. Let's talk about what Sean was talking about, because this has been misinterpreted for years in our fellowships, but we just wanted you to understand what, what's happening within us. They're describing the awakening of the spirit within us. And so it says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. They're not talking about the newcomer who brings joy to my life, they're talking about the new man within me that I'm growing in conscious relationship with. Does that make sense? And it says, if you persist, remarkable things will happen. If you're students of that other book, signs and wonders follow us. How many of you guys have been around here long enough to see signs and wonders around this place every day? Yeah, we are a miracle factory. Bet on it. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. I told you what happened to me. 
I ended up in one more detox after a string of detoxes and homelessness and just terrible living. And I met that man who knew a man. And although my circumstances did not change, my perspective radically changed that day. And I've never turned back. And I encourage you, don't turn back. There's nothing there. There's nothing but death there. Follow us. Thank you very much.